Welcome to Sex Ed Rewind, reflections on how we learn about sex. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Caro, and I'm very excited to welcome my next guest this week, a friend of mine, former peer and colleague, Jesus. I'm going to read his introduction now so you can all get to know him a little better. Jesus Casado is a proud gay Latinx immigrant from Caracas, Venezuela. He moved to the U.S. when he was 17 to pursue higher education and as a result of the country's current crisis. He holds two B.A. degrees in international studies and political science from Arizona State University and an M.S. in global gender studies from NYU. He has worked in the nonprofit and education sectors for over eight years, focusing on social activism, community building, and health and human services for youth, immigrants, LGBT, GNC, and the BIPOC communities. Jesus loves adventurous traveling, the outdoors, Latin nostalgic music, and relaxing on Friday nights with a nice glass of wine or two. Jesus, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much, Karis. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for, for inviting me. I'm very excited. Of course. <laughs> How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. And now that I see you, it's like even you know more fun. <laughs> good. I feel so the same way. <laughs> yeah. Reconnecting is always a good thing. Okay. So we're going to dive right into it. So on Sex Ed Rewind, I always like to help our listeners get in the mind of a young Jesus. So we like to figure out what was happening for you in high school. What was the vibe? So please share with us when you were in high school, what was your favorite band, favorite fashion trend and favorite slang word? Wow. Okay. So let's remember that I actually am an immigrant, but I would say my favorite band back in the high school years was Simple Plan. Okay. <laughs> Surprisingly, I love that. Yes. <laughs> Big, huge fan. Even today, I actually went to to see them for the first time live uh, four years ago here in New York. I didn't even know they were still playing live. That's amazing. Yes. In 2017, I, I went by myself. I found out they were coming and I went by myself and I had a, such a good time. Like I was crying. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. <laughs> Going by yourself is such dedication. I'm very yes, impressed. Yes. <laughs> were they good? Oh, they were amazing. They were amazing. Just how I picture them. Like 15 years ago, when I listened to their music, I didn't speak English. So it was funny because I didn't know exactly what they were talking about, mm -hmm. but I just loved the music so much. Okay. So. That's a really good answer. I love it. Okay. <laughs> Simple plan. Amazing. Yes. So, so what was our, what were you wearing? What was the fashion trend? I had a, this face, which lasted the last years of high school. And then the first year of college was us were like very punk, like dark colors wear like baggy jeans, black clothes, and these like rubber bands, like the black rubber bands that people will put on, you know, bracelets and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it was like darkish. <laughs> like emo punk kind like of. Like emo punk. That's exactly what it meant. Yeah. <laughs> what he wants well that checks out with the simple plan i feel yeah, like that was... sort of makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense okay and so hit us with your slang word of choice from high school yeah yeah funny thing it's gonna be in spanish that's uh, okay so the, the letter x so if you said something like uh eso es tan x so like that's so x that means like that's so whatever hmm so it's like a weird thing that I used to say with my friends all the time. It was like very trendy to say those things like, oh, that is so X, like that's so whatever. <laughs> Interesting. So meaning like, oh, uh, like who cares? Who cares? Exactly. Like I'm, I'm too cool. Like almost like mean girl step of lingo. Mm -hmm. I like that. That's so <laughs> yeah. X. I'm into yeah. it. 
Okay. Awesome. So those are really good answers. I have to say, I enjoyed that trip down memory lane. So now that we know what a young Jesus was wearing and listening to and saying, can you tell us about the high school that you went to? So where was it located? What country or town or city? Sure. So I went to high school. It was a private high school in Caracas, Venezuela. It was like a very elite high school. I played music. So that was one of the biggest conservatory, like music conservatories in the country. So that's, I spent, actually, it was not only high school, it was elementary school, middle school, high school. It was like, I went to school with the same people for, I don't know, 12 years. Oh my God, that's a lot. (laughs) Which is a bit of a nightmare when you... (laughs) For many reasons. <laughs> Complete nightmare. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. Okay, so you mentioned it was a private school conservatory. When were you there? What decade? High school years were from 2001 until 2006 when I graduated. Okay, awesome. So early aughts. Yeah, early uh, 2000s. Early 2000s, fantastic. Mm -hmm. This is my first interview at a conservatory. So I'm really interested to see how this conversation goes through the lens of like a music school. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty interesting. (laughs) Okay, cool. So we know where we are. We know what's happening. A A young Jesus, what's up? So let's dive right into our discussion about sex education. So at this school, did you receive any type of sex education? I know for sure that it was not called sex education. It was like health education, like family uh, education. And that I remember taking one or two classes in seventh and eighth grade. However, I don't think the focus was on sexual education. It was just health, you know, the anatomy of the uh, human body and talking about reproductive organs and things like that. Funny thing, I actually pulled, I have my high school transcripts right here. Oh, wow. <laughs> Look at you with the research. I, because I, I want, I was trying to remember if, if there was a class that I took that I missed that I just don't remember. And no, literally, those were the only two classes in seventh and eighth grade that delved a little bit into those topics. Interesting. So, was that more like a puberty education? Like, what is puberty kind of thing? Yeah, that sounds more like it. It was more, you know, talk about the female anatomy and the male anatomy in a very binary way, talking about like the organs, how they work, you know. Yeah, so it was pretty much just biology. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much biology. Okay, pretty sterile and unhelpful also. (laughs) Very, um, yeah, very much so. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, awesome. So you weren't getting it in high school at all. You got a little bit of like puberty kind of biology in middle school. So where were you getting your information about sex? Did you talk about it at home at all? We didn't talk about it at home. Again, I come from a pretty conservative culture, society. And then even within my family, my parents, mostly my mom is very religious. So that was not a conversation we had. I do remember I had my first computer. My dad had this hint conversation where he sort of mentioned like, be careful what you visit on on the internet. And I knew right away that he was referring to like pornography and things like that. But we never had any conversations about sexuality. Not none of that. I mostly received that information from having conversations with my friends even myself doing research online. And by research, I mean like looking up pornography and things yeah. like that. Yeah. That's literally like how I'll be exposed to, to that. Well, even when I was pretending to be straight, because that's, you know, the nature of survival for, for people like me. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we talked about things in a very gender way. Males behave this way and this is how they react or like how they behave sexually. And then females, women, they behave this way, this way sexually. Yeah, that's really interesting. So your conversations with your friends 
were pretty binary, pretty heteronormative, you said. Yes, very much so. And mm. I funny, I also remember a few things. I had a lot of, especially in the younger years, uh, like early pu puberty years, I had a lot of male friends um, and we'll get together. They will exchange diskettes that had uh, <laughs> porn and that had mm -hmm. like, images, not even videos, because like they were too heavy to be <laughs> saved. <laughs> Just what pictures. are they called here? Like flip flops or floppy what? discs? Floppy, floppy discs. I'm sorry. Yeah, floppy discs. So they will like save and label them with the type of content or the type of pictures that you will see there. It's obviously all heterosexual stuff. So mm -hmm. I never engaged with it. Even when they give it to me, I would just, they will just sit in there on my desk. Uh, but I remember that happening and it's quite embarrassing to talk about now. <laughs> well, you're definitely not alone. The floppy disk porn is a pretty good throwback, I will say. <laughs> Yes, floppy disk. No, <laughs> you worked my vocabulary. <laughs> yeah, not that that's relevant anymore. I mean, I haven't yeah. seen a floppy disk in like 20 years. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I'm interested about the content on these floppy disks or the porn that you did find, since sure. it sounds like that was really the only sex education that you and your friends got. So can you talk right. to us about like, what did you search for? What did you find? Like, what did that look like? Yeah, for me, uh, when I did my own research, not with my friends, but like I will go on the internet. Uh, obviously, the internet looked very different back then, and you will only have access to like images. I was fascinated, to be honest, with the male genitalia. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was the only time when I was by myself that I could actually sort of be myself and look for what I wanted to see. Mm -hmm. I was obsessed with looking at that because also I don't remember having that much access to gay pornography per se. But I will just like see pornography and focus on the male, you know? Yeah, that's really interesting. So you obviously knew at a young age what your sexuality was. What did that dialogue look like for you internally? I think it was very scary just because I realized that very early on. I would say since I can remember, I've always known um, that I was attracted to men and uh, even the way I interacted with friends and I, will, I would see how my body would react differently to like interacting with guys versus interacting with girls. As I became older in my high school years, most of my friends were girls because I resonated so much with them. Even when they were talking and gossiping about guys, I would stay quiet not to be recognized mm -hmm. <laughs> or exposed, but I will be so interested in those conversations. Even if they're not sexual conversations, just about emotions, about, you know, guys they liked, I was like, oh my God, like I, I resonate with a lot of what you're saying versus when I spend time with my guy friends, I wouldn't resonate as much with the conversations they were having. So from the very beginning, I knew what my interests were, but also knew that it was very dangerous for me to even show a bit of that. So I had to, it's funny that I, I mentioned to you that I don't, I don't consider myself a shy person at all, but I was extremely shy when I was in high school. Not so much because I wanted to be, but that was my way of protecting myself, you know, of not exposing too much of who I was. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious to know about the types of dialogues that you were having with your friends. What, what did those conversations look like about sex? 
Oh, about sex, I, I think it was mostly just about relationships. It was inappropriate to talk about certain things. It's not classy to talk about, especially because I went, just to give you an idea, I went to school with the grandson of one of the former presidents of Venezuela. I went to school with the sons and daughters of singers and celebrities. So there was a certain status you had to maintain. I did not belong to that circle. I think my parents worked really hard for me to be able to access education at that level and things like that, but I did not live like that. Most of my friends, they're mothers didn't work. There were housewives that spent a lot of time at school hanging out with the other mothers. My mom was not like that. My mom had like two, three jobs. So again, I never feel, uh, I never felt like I fit in. So even those conversations were very, you know, at, at certain level, like you wouldn't really show too much of who you were because that was considered probably inappropriate and like not cool. So I, I don't think I had um, a lot of conversations around sex with my friends. It's interesting that you you talk about having to maintain like a certain level of class or like, you know, there was a certain status of the people that you went to school with. And so that really dictated the type of conversations you were able to have. It's just, it's an sure. interesting concept. I do remember mostly when I was talking to my girlfriends who made up most of my close circle of friends, I had few guy friends and they will be more open, definitely talking about sex and also about how cool he was that they were dating certain girls, they were having sex with certain girls. So that made them like pretty cool. So it's like very stereotypical, like guy talking about like how cool they are, like how macho, Mm -hmm. you know, they are. And that to me was really uncomfortable. I knew that I was going to go into this field for work many years ago, because I felt so uncomfortable when I saw or heard that my guy friends were objectifying my girlfriend. So that's something I knew right away that triggered me. I almost never participated in in those conversations. And when I did, it was probably because I was trying to be cool and try to be accepted because I was extremely bullied in high school. So sometimes for survival mode, like you're trying just to be part of that conversation. Yeah. It sounds like there wasn't much access to any type of sex education since it wasn't in school. We weren't really talking about it at home and the porn access was limited and your friend's conversations was kind of limited. So were there any other places that you learned a lot about sex from? I don't know if you remember that Yahoo had these public chat rooms. Okay. Back in the day, I'm talking about early 2000s, and they had like Yahoo and Messenger had this like websites where you could find chat groups for specific topics. That was the first time that I actually entered a chat group that was specific to gay men. Mm. And that opened up a huge door for me to talk about things. I don't remember a lot of those conversations, but I do remember that it was very heavy on sex because uh, there were men all ages joining those chat groups. I remember it was the time where you had the webcam that you will put on top of your screen. Yep, I remember those. Yeah, so you will like turn it on and then people will like chat you privately and you'll either engage in just normal conversation or get a little more sexual if you feel comfortable. So the first encounters that I had around sex topics and also even exposure, like me actually being uncomfortable to share that part of me was on those chats. And I'm talking about like 2002, 2003, I was 12, 13 years old. And looking back, were those healthy environments? Were they pretty unhealthy? Were they kind of neutral? Or what did that look like? Looking back from almost 20 years, that those are terrible environments because that leads to a lot of the issues, you know, pedophiles getting there to attract victims. And But that was the only way I could sort of be myself and be with people that perhaps wouldn't judge me. But it was the only time that I was exposed to information that I wanted to get. I wanted to talk to another gay guy, even if it was an older man, he understood what I felt and what I felt was not weird or like abnormal, you know, that it was, it wasn't just me thinking or feeling that a certain way. 
Yeah. You just wanted to feel seen and, uh, and normalized. And I think what is, I think just this really common misconception is that like, if we don't talk about sex to young people, they'll, they'll just like forget about it. And that's right. just, it'll be fine. I think it's all the opposite, to be honest. Yeah. Because I'm so curious. So when I, I wonder, obviously I'm not blaming anybody in my family. There's just a certain way of why things were like that. But that just led me to wanting to find for myself. And I think I engaged in pretty risky behaviors back then. I graduated from high school very young. I was only 16. Oh, wow. You know, just to give you a context, like I was very, very young. Mm -hmm. So I got involved in like very risky behaviors in those years that perhaps could have been avoided or mitigated by having like honest and open conversations about sexuality or about even me having the possibility of show, uh, share who I was, you know, that never happened until my 20s. So yeah, I agree with you. This misconception that not talking about it, meaning that doesn't exist, which is all the opposite. Yeah. I mean, young people are going to do what they need to do to get the information that they want. And if that yeah. means putting themselves in risky situations, they're going to do it because they're curious and they want to feel seen and normalized and heard and all the things that young people want to feel. And so yeah. it's just so ineffective to completely not even have any in high school. It's like, it's such a wild concept that is so common, unfortunately. Absolutely. And another way in which I sort of tried to be more exposed to sex was when I was able to identify those two or three guys in high school that I was suspicious that could be gay. I mean, that's an awful thing to do to like profile someone just based on their behavior. But as a child, that's just all the cues I could get. I, I was suspicious about some of them. So that allowed me to perhaps open up a little bit and push the limits to see how much we could share around sex and things like that. I'm curious about those conversations. Did you ever like explicitly talk about being gay or what did those conversations look like? So I actually have an anecdote about this. Hit so me. I can't wait. I participated in choir throughout my life. The choir in my school was actually pretty famous nationwide. So we did a tour to the coast side of the country and we stayed at this resort for a weekend. We had a, like a music festival with other choirs and things like that. Among those students were two kids and I knew, like I was very suspicious of both of them, but I was pretty close to one of them who was a little more open about talking about these things. But we will get together at night. Uh, we sneak out of our rooms and like have like little parties. I was in sixth grade, by the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember now that I look back, it was almost like flirting. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to do like a little pool party in the top and no one wanted to join. So only him and I joined. And then we were betting about who will masturbate. And I was like, I've never done that. So I'm going to wait outside. We were betting that he was going to do it. And he was going to show me the results of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I love I the results in air quotes. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I left the, the bathroom. He came out and he showed me <laughs> what that's supposed to look like after. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and then people showed up and I was freaking out because I didn't want people to think that I was involved with some, in something with him. That just stayed with me forever. And actually, the first time I did some of that stuff for myself was right after that trip. <laughs> God, so you like, he gave you some ideas. <laughs> exactly. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's interesting that you were able to sort of pick out the folks that you kind of were suspecting were going through the same things that you were. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like uh, unconsciously I was trying to ally 
because the, these were stu students I sort of like picked and, and chose the ones I was like, oh, maybe this could be sort of like an ally, someone I could share a little more with mm -hmm. and I have this little secret unspoken type of understanding of each other, like things that we can talk about, things that perhaps I wouldn't share with anybody, not even my best, my best girlfriends. So it was that hard for me to share that only people who were going through it or that I assumed were going through it were the ones I was going to open up to. Yeah. I mean, you were looking for community. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. Kind of have some ideas about where you were getting info, where you weren't getting info. Last question about high school before we move sure. forward. Was the media a big influence for you in terms of your sex education journey? Mm, yes and no. I'm going to start with the no. Okay. No, because again, as I've mentioned, um, I come from a society that's slowly changing, but uh, a culture and a society where everything's through the very binary heteronormative lenses. Anything that I was exposed to that was a little more, you know, edgy <laughs> was usually U.S. media, but not so much national Spanish TV. You know, you would see like the telenovelas and things like that. You will see like sexual explicit scenes because in telenovelas, you see a lot of that in a male, female scenario. Mm -hmm. But other than that, like seeing like gay or lesbian figures, rarely. And I would say, again, in my high school years, something that impacted me a, a lot and that I thank my parents for is that we actually had cable. So I had access to U.S. Uh, media. So like HBO movies and, you know, HBO likes to push boundaries. Mm -hmm. So my first exposure to those types of shows and movies was through U.S. media cable TV. And I remember the first show that really showed me so much of that was Will and Grace. Okay. I have so much to thank Will and Grace for because I saw myself on TV. <laughs> Yeah. Even though it's like uh, some of the jokes were cliche and like very stereotypical to me, that was a lot of information that I was not getting anywhere else. Mm. And I resonated so much with Jack and with Will and even with their interactions with Grace, because that that's the same interaction I had with my girlfriends. Like I saw myself in a sitcom there. And I remember like how taboo that was, because when my parents, when I would hear my parents coming in the apartment, I would change the channel right away. You know, I didn't want to be affiliated with anything that could give some sort of hint that mm -hmm. I was part of that, you know? Mm -hmm. My dad is, he likes a lot of HBO shows and, and movies. And if you were watching a movie that gave some sort of hint that there could be a homosexual relationship happening in a scene, he would change the channel right away. Mm -hmm. Or they will make comments, like very homophobic con comments. Obviously not knowing that that could hurt me. Yeah. So yeah, that's, I would say back in high school, those were my main channels for getting that type of information. It's so, it's such an important thing for anyone of all, any age, but especially for young people to be able to see themselves represented, represented in yeah. any capacity, like you and the guys on that show were probably really different, right? They were like living in some apartment as adults and like working their jobs. And you were like, you know, a high school music student in Venezuela. And yet, because they were gay, you had that immediate connection. Connection. Yeah. 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 It's funny that perhaps it was not so much of a coincidence that I ended up moving to New York. <laughs> the show took place in New York. And I always envisioned myself having that kind of lifestyle. Perhaps those were the first inspiring <laughs> scenes that I saw of what I wanted to become. But that was like the, that one time that I could just be like fascinated by what I was watching. Yeah. 
And and it gave you an idea of what you could be one day. Exactly. And it was not so abnormal. It was not so out of the norm to to be that way. Like there were other people who even made it to TV <laughs> to show it. <laughs> so US media, US music. That's why you, I mentioned Simple Plan. If you listen to the lyrics of those songs, you know, Good Charlotte, I listened to a lot of Good Charlotte as, as well. Those lyrics like really resonated. They were not necessarily talking about sexuality or sexual orientation, but they were talking about struggles with family, struggles with themselves, struggles with like society. And I felt so connected to that. Yeah. The lengths that young people go to, to get that feeling of normalization yeah. and just hold on to it. You only had a couple opportunities, whether it was the afternoons that Will and Grace are on or whenever you could seek out those particular people in school. And outside of that, there's not a lot of space in so many places for LGBTQ youth to see themselves in community. Exactly. Another one, and I promise we can move on to the <laughs> No, topic, I love it. <laughs> uh, is because now I'm like just so many flashbacks. Christina Aguilera, who has been one of my favorite singers ever. And when that beautiful video came out, that changed everything for me. Beautiful is a video where they have like a zoom in scene where there's two guys sitting on a bench kissing passionately. I knew that I had so much to learn because even watching that, although I saw myself there, I was like, oh, that's great. I felt uncomfortable watching them kiss each other like that, especially if my parents or someone was around. I felt super uncomfortable watching such a passionate kiss between two men, you know? So that video, like, that also had a huge, huge impact on, on you know, how I perceived the world back then. Mm-hmm. These are all really good examples. Let's move on to a conversation about intersecting identities. So we've talked sure. a little bit about some of yours, but I would just like to give you the opportunity to share with us. Can you tell us what your intersecting identities are? Sure. And I think that's a process that I continue unpacking as I continue finding out things about myself, primarily identified as a proud gay Latinx man. Funny thing, years ago, I didn't find this trait to be so important, but as an immigrant, you know, the immigrant component has become such a strong one, maybe because of a political climate that we live in and how my life experience has been in the past 13, 14 years in this country. On the other thing, I'm a cancer survivor, and that's something that I've been very public about. Not so much the first time that I was diagnosed, but when I had the second cancer, I became much more public about my process. So that's something people sometimes push back. It's like, oh, you've overcome the cancer. Why do you keep mentioning it? It was like, well, because it's such an important part of my life. I'm only 30 years old, and I was diagnosed when I was 21. So it's been 10 years of my life that I've gone through that process. So that's a big identifier for me. That's actually a lot of the decisions I've made in my life, professionally, academic and personal, have been influenced by my diagnosis. So that's something I I hold very dearly as well. There's a lot of lessons that I've learned through that process, even though it was extremely painful. You know, it's something I identify with as a cancer survivor, a transplant survivor, because I ended up having a bone marrow transplant. So those are sort of the identifiers I use nowadays. Thank you for sharing for context. I think we can all now sort of understand a little bit more where you're coming from. So I guess maybe we don't have to look at it through the lens of back then, but do you see your intersecting identities represented in the sex education that you received or the material about sex that you consume now? I feel like I still, to this point, I don't think I've seen sexual education curriculum that encompasses all of or most of my identities. Even though I've been 
actively and consciously involved in those fields because I work directly with the LGBT community. I work directly with immigrants. I work directly with with youth. With you know, all of these spaces where you will see, you will think that I will be exposed to this. I still have not seen something where I can find myself in. I learned through my own experiences and the mistakes I've made in my personal life, my relationships, my sex life, uh, but not so much because I've actually read you know, an article or read a book or, you know, being attended a lesson that talked about all these things. Only when I became a professional on health and human services that we, I would attend conferences or even facilitate conferences around sexual education, sexual rights, reproductive rights. Uh, and that's when we'll delve into these topics. But other than that, I don't think youth are being exposed to any of this. To yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know for sure in the United States, most of the identities that you hold are not represented in most of the curricula that are taught. And so I'm curious when, at what point did you sort of turn things around for yourself? Like when you mentioned a little bit um, after high school, you started to get more comfortable, but what was the catalyst that kind of finally made you embrace these parts of yourselves that you were um, hiding for so long? Oh, that's such a good question. Uh, there were like a few milestones that I remember, points where there's there was a before and an after. The first one, definitely when I graduated from high school, because I went, I sort of burst the bubble. I actually went to the biggest public school in the nation. And that university, which was in a very different area of, of Caracas, in working class area. And I went to school with people from all over, people I had never been exposed to different colors, different everything. So, and different, definitely different socioeconomic statuses as well. So that opened the door to so many things and that <laughs> had a very positive and also a very negative uh, outcome. Uh, positive because it opened a world of curiosity for me to explore, but then negative because that created a lot of conflict with my family who wanted to keep me safe and keep me in this bubble. And I kept pushing back. I wanted to burst that bubble. So that got me in a lot of trouble. That will be the first catalyst, as you mentioned. The second, and I think even bigger than that, was me moving to the U.S., which was only a year after. So I only did one year of college in Venezuela, and then think things got really, really bad very quickly. Uh, I got very involved. I've been politically involved in Venezuela for many years. So I got in a lot of trouble. <laughs> we could talk about that in a different uh, chapter. <laughs> <laughs> So I got in a lot of trouble. So I was pretty much told you need to leave the country. So we'll pay for your higher education, but you have to leave. So that's when I moved to Phoenix, Arizona. Obviously, Arizona, you wouldn't think of Arizona as the place where like, you know, oh, like liberals and like gay people everywhere. No, necessarily. <laughs> but in comparison to where I was coming from, it was night and day. You know, it was so different. Even though I did not come out publicly about my sexuality until many years after I moved to Arizona, I was much more comfortable about certain topics and certain friends and being uh, also associated with people. That's another thing that in high school I was very protective of. I didn't want to be associated and affiliated with certain people that had a certain reputation. In college, that was a, a different story. I was much more open to different things. Uh, so that second catalyst will be moving to the U.S. And then the third one will be cancer. <laughs> uh, cancer had to, you know, force itself upon me <laughs> to see things differently. Uh, and with that cancer, you know, catalyst also came moving to New York. So those were two that were like hand to hand. And uh, they they opened the door to like for me to 
not only be exposed to different ways of thinking and allow myself to see other things and uh, welcome them, but also to look introspectively about my own biases, my own prejudice, which I still have and I still, I'm still working through. I think that's been really tough because I've put, a, I've put throughout my life, I've put a lot of the responsibility and the blame on other people and external factors. And then I haven't really taken a lot of time to look inside. I mean, like, well, the way you feel about certain things might be because you really haven't worked through them from the inside out. So that's actually where I'm standing right now. That's the process I'm in right now. That's led to a lot of internal conflicts <laughs> about how I feel about certain things, you know? So I know it sounds like very, I don't know, uh, intangible, but, uh, but yeah, that's where I'm standing right now. Those, I would say those are like the main catalysts that I've had in my life so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting as intangible as those things are, it's still very clear that there were tangible aha points. You know what I mean? It's like the, the journey, is huge. right? Yeah. Like the journey is kind of murky and you got here to there somewhere, yes. but you know yes. that when you went to that first year of college, something shifted. And you know that when you went to the US, something else shifted. So it's like, even amidst all of this, like, weird messaging and Mm -hmm. like stereotypes you can very much remember when things turned around because because you left so much behind then you know Mm -hmm. you're like you're done you're like I'm shedding that and I'm starting a new chapter yeah and I think the nature of like just my life that's involved a lot of moving has given me the opportunity uh to sort of start from scratch many times so I, I, I did that when I moved to Arizona. I briefly moved to Italy to do study abroad. And I, I was able to also, you know, find a new Jesus in that process. Then coming back to Arizona, then cancer happened. Then I moved to New York, another scratch. And then, you know, there, there have been so many episodes in my life where I've been able or allowed to start all over again. So that's also helped me decide like, you know what, that, that Jesus has to go away and I, I need to start with a new type of Jesus, a new type of mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have nothing to lose because no one knows me here, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And I think it's so interesting that you bring up um, like moving and the opportunity to start over because I feel like particularly people that are somewhere else on the sexuality spectrum other than heterosexual, that's such a, an easy way to dive into your sexuality. Like when you don't know anyone, because you don't have to necessarily come out. You know, if you start out as this new sexuality, you don't have to go back and come out to every single person that you grew up with for your 12 years in school. Like those people, like why, how could you as a young person who doesn't know anyone gay ever come out to people you've known for 12 years? Like that's so hard. That opportunity just lends itself to like exploration and and starting new chapters. And for people to get to know you from day one as that person and not you're like, by the way, I was this person. I just want to disclaim that I'm no longer that person. I'm this, I'm I'm actually, I've always been this person, but I've publicly been this other person, Mm -hmm. you know? So uh, New York has allowed me to do that, that chance to start over again with this new persona that people are going to get to know um, that way you know? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, <laughs> it's, it's been a whole journey and a whole process that I'm still part of. <laughs> mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay. I'd love to move a little bit into the, into the now, since we're talking sure. about now. Yes. <laughs> so yes. <laughs> beyond high school, how do you think that your sex education journey has impacted your relationship to sex today? 
Oof, that's going to be that triggering question. (laughs) It's a big one. I know that's a big one, a lot to unpack. (laughs) So my lack of understanding uh, regarding sex education in many areas has deeply affected my relationship to sex and my personal relationships. And I've actually had very recent experiences. I just had a breakup a few months ago. And uh, I think the sexual component was key in in that issue that ended up breaking us apart you know so actually it was explicitly said <laughs> in conversations and that just like sort of lit up the bulb that you know like that there's something there that I haven't unpacked that I haven't worked through that I just assumed it was the way it was so I started realizing that I have I don't want to say toxic but I have a weird relationship with sex it's been hard for me to connect sex with emotion. And when I do, it's brought issues <laughs> in my relationships. It's been really hard for me to find uh, or to cultivate friendships with gay men that somehow don't end up segueing into something else, mm-hmm. you know? And that's been tough because I want to have a community of friends and that are just like really good friends that are going to be there for me without having to step into other zones. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? And because I have this affiliation that, oh, if, if it's a gay man, something must happen there outside of the, a friendship. Mm-hmm. That is an issue I need to tackle. That's an issue I need to work through. Like how my perception of sex and my perception of gayness, <laughs> mm-hmm. what it means to be a gay man, how does how do they reconcile, you know, and how, how do I build relationships, uh, taking those things into consideration. And do you find yourself now able to access things that are helpful to you? The first thing that comes on is media. There's so much more representation now of LGBTQ experience. I mean, it's still not a lot, but there's more than there was. Or there are organizations now that increase access to resources and information. Do you find yourself leaning on things that you didn't have as a young person now? Or what does that journey kind of look like for you? Yeah, I actually do rely a lot on social media for getting not only information, but getting a sense of where gay men are at (laughs) in terms of sexuality, in terms of relationships, in terms of mental health, which is a huge one lately for me. That content that I've been able to, to access through social media, Instagram, especially Instagram, have allowed me to understand that a lot of people are going through the same things that I'm going through as a gay Latino immigrant. If you're feeling this way, that's okay. When I read those types of things like, okay, so this anxiety that I'm feeling, at least it's normal. You know, and that that has helped me work through a lot of the, these hardships that I, that I've been experiencing lately. The fact that I there's content out there that answers to what I'm going through, pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we're gonna move on to the next question. Only a couple sure. more questions, and then sure. that yeah, will be I'm our time. This. <laughs> so this is also a really big question: Is there anything that you wish you could unlearn from your sex education journey? okay so yes and (laughs) and I think most of it yeah to be honest with you now now that I think about it I think I could unlearn most of it Mm -hmm. and and start from like a you know empty canvas Mm -hmm. to know how to better weed out information that perhaps was not going to be healthy things I've learned that made me very biased about a 
bunch of things about other people and about myself. Mm -hmm. And that's what sometimes leads to self-hate, you know, to not feeling like you're good enough to having this imposter syndrome, not only professionally, but also personally, like you're not good enough. You're not good enough for that person because you don't look a certain way. You don't sound like a certain way and realizing like, that's, that's just not how the world actually works, you know, but that's how you've been taught. There's much more to life than that. So yeah, the short answer will be yes. And most of everything. (laughs) Just throw it all out. Let's start over. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm all about team start over because most of what we all got as young people was bad. This whole idea about sex positivity, that's been a really, really hard topic for me to, to work through the realization that relationships can look very different ways. And I I acknowledge it, that it exists and I respect it and I welcome it. But then when I try to adapt it to my life because of these biases, there's this massive conflict and like, it doesn't allow me to give myself the opportunity to experience some of those things. Yeah, for sure. And therein lies the difficulty of unlearning, right? Like it's so hard to work through all that stuff. You know, what's really hard too, when you're trying to unlearn, but then you're surrounded or you're a part of a circle with other people also have those biases and prejudice. And when you're trying to push those boundaries, they're reminding you, no, no, don't do that. Yeah. It's hard for sure. In a community on your own, all of it. Yeah. Okay. So the last (laughs) question of our time together Another sure. doozy. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing what you know now, what do you wish that your sex education journey could have looked like? I would have loved for my sex education, especially from my early years, to be about open communication, about really talking about those things that people knew were there, but no one wanted to even mention them. You know, acknowledging trauma as something that is real and that people don't talk about certain topics because there's trauma there that doesn't allow for that to happen. Because I feel like my whole identity has been tabooed for so many years, you know, and it's now that I'm realizing that, no, it's not taboo. It's not a stigma for me to be the way I am. It's not a disease. It's not a pathology. It's none of of those things. But I've been being fed this idea for so many years that now as an adult, I don't want to say I'm all messed up, but I'm saying like, I'm just addressing a lot of the things and feelings that I was like, why do I feel this anxiety? Why do I feel this stress? Like there's nothing really happening around me. Why? Because I I still feel uneasy about myself because of what I was taught or what I was not taught actually, because of what was not told to me. I think more, more, more of the absence of information rather than, the information I did receive, you know, the fact that those conversations just never took place made me wonder. And I started filling in that gap with information that perhaps was not healthy. So the absence of certain topics, I think is what hurt the most. That's so real. The absence of information is dangerous. Because then our brains, I mean, we're so creative. So we're going to find a way to fill in that inform that gap with whatever. <laughs> We go to all kinds of places. We go. (laughs) Believe me, we find the way. So (laughs) usually not the creative. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) I love that though. The absence of information is the thing that that was the biggest problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this brings us to the end of our interview. (laughs) It was wonderful. I had so much fun. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) It's so much fun as well. So that is going to be a wrap. Thank you again so much for joining us, Jesus. It was a wonderful conversation. Thank you for having me. It was, it was great. 
find the show on Instagram at Sex Ed Rewind or online on my website at caroconfort.me. I drop new episodes to podcast platforms every Monday. The cover art and website are by Kelsey Reifler and the podcast is produced and edited all by me. Bye.